Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Hey, Colney Smith. Hello, Dana. Hi. Welcome to Cocktails and Conversations. Thank you for this. Cheers Salud. to you. Salud. Thanks uh-huh. for being here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Yeah. Um, I hope that you're enjoying this delicious cocktail that I made. It's wonderful. Campari, you know me. Campari, so. Tito's handmade vodka, a little bit of grandine, and then I put tonic water in mine, but you're just doing yours straight up. Yeah, so, I like all that. good. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like cocktails, and do you have like a go-to drink that is like your the easiest drink that you can order or something that you just like at the end of a hard day like if you make your do you make yourself a drink do not make myself a drink okay however the default order at most places is just campari and soda campari and soda yeah Mm -hmm. so it's reminiscent of my time in madrid where they literally just sit in these plazas all over the city till two in the morning having conversation eating olives and drinking campari spritzers so I have a great affection for them. And that is happiness, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like the way they taste, or is it just oh, like no, a nostalgia? Oh, no, no. Yes. No, I love the drink. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Great. But That's also, I love the, the most sentiment. Basic, the sentiment right, the of sentiment the drink. Right, the sentiment behind mm-hmm. the drink. Yes. Delicious. And you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't naturally make a Campari soda? No, I do that at home, too. At home? Yeah, yeah. I would. I have a it's bottle pretty. of Campari, and I often have a corksicle like bottle full of soda water, so I'll just combine the two. Good call. Yep. Good call. Um, so you are someone that I've known for probably a million years. Mm-hmm. Very long time. Yeah. So um, I guess we first, so I've known you or known of you since 2003, which is... Better memory than mine. 15 years. Well, I knew of you, but like yeah. I didn't know you until many years after that. Okay. Because... You well, honored really to know talk. you and be known by you. <laughs> okay, finally. <laughs> finally, after this many uh, millions of years. So, yeah, we met through an old organization called... What did you do there? What were you? <laughs> Are we talking about status? Yeah. Yeah, so I was on staff at a church. I was the creative director at the time that you're talking about. Uh, and it was a ministry of Discovery Church on South Orange, and uh, did that for many years. Many years. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then stepped into a different leadership role there and helped kind of move out of there and launch City Beautiful Church. And yeah, that's, that was a long period of my life for long sure. Long period of your life. Yeah. yeah. I was in that for 10 years, which was an amazing time. Yeah. So super formative. Of course. Yeah. We have so many friends from that era for sure. And yeah. lots of creative people who were just kind of figuring life out. And have good. gone on to do like pretty like yeah, amazing things, incredible amazing yeah. things in the city. Honored, so, honored. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think those early days were like so formative to me when it was like so small. Yeah. Um, and when John Tyson was there, uh-huh. just like man, I grew so much as like a human being and an individual, and just like such a um, a different space that I think that I had ever mm-hmm. really known in my faith world. Yeah. Um, so it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? It has indeed. Um, yeah, it continues to evolve, which is the thing, the good thing. Yeah. It's just not, it's not one set of rules. It's not, um, I tend to operate a lot in black and white. So it's also interesting to see how faith allows for a lot of gray mm-hmm. and struggle mm-hmm. and to yeah. continue to always evolve as, as people. Yeah. That's been a crazy journey in and of itself. Just figuring all that stuff out over time and how those things change and shape and yeah, absolutely. So one of the reasons that I wanted to do this uh, podcast was that I do, I really love story. There is so much that shapes us. Um, there's so much that happens to us that is outside of our control. Um, you know, the family of origin that we're born into, mm-hmm. the place in the world that we're born into, our DNA, um, our family structures, Um, so I would love to just like hear a little bit more like about your story. Um, I know that you've been in Orlando probably most of your life, but like, what was, what was it like growing up in your family? Like, where were you in the birth order? What are your parents like? What was like the feeling of growing up in the Neesmith household? I am a middle son. So there are three boys right right in the middle. Um, and in some ways growing up in a middle-class white family was wonderful and in some ways uh, quite difficult. I mean, my parents um, both kind of grew up in sports world. Both my brothers were like baseball, football players. Yeah, my mom was. Your mom was in sports world? She was like, you know, like head cheerleader or something. And my dad played football and basketball in high school. Were they high school sweethearts? Yeah. That was pretty great. Yeah. In Orlando? Uh-huh. At Boone. Yeah. At Boone? Yeah. Dang. Uh-huh. And you never found your cheerleader while you were there? I didn't, no. Dang it. And so, um, you know, I grew up as a musician and kind of as an actor and kind of doing these things that were outside of that realm and uh, family life and, like, America in the 80s and 90s, I think, was still attached to this kind of, like, 1950s through 70s beaver cleaver, like, ah, kind of... Oh, was that? Sorry? Ah! <laughs> okay. Life. Uh, I was fist pumping, like, you know, that thing. Uh, and uh, I, I, th- I think in my house it was, here's how people are, and here's the life that people like us live... And, uh, in a lot of ways, like kind of discovering those creative aspects of myself and 
Did you fit into the mold of like here's no. how we as this white white right. no. middle class right. family? That's where I'm going. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So yeah, it was it was always it always felt like um, kind of fighting to f- to prove value in who I was and the things I cared about. And, uh, you know, I look at some families that I know now and there's this sense of you are our child and you are a unique being and it's our job and responsibility to help foster you in the Mm -hmm. things that are unique to who you are. Where I think in a lot of my experience, it was here's who people are supposed to be. And if that's not you, then you need to change to become it. And, um, yeah. So uh, this kind of creative life of mine has been, for the most part, something that feels like an ongoing struggle to both discover and be comfortable in. I think uh, even now there are a lot of things that I wrestle with when it comes to embracing the odd parts of my identity Mm -hmm. that um, have been a lifelong wrestle. Hmm. Do you feel like your parents saw the value in that like as you grew up and into that? Because I feel like they're pretty supportive in this time. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how that... You know, I feel like my life in a lot of... Yeah, I think my life in a lot of ways is... (sighs) having a vision or a passion and fighting really hard to hopefully have people come around to accepting it. And so whether that's a kid, like wanting to be a musician or, you know, having this wrestling conversation about what I do after high school and, you know, the, the, the model is people like us Mm -hmm. go to college and they study these types of things. And, um, so it was just kind of always, the struggle to find space to pursue the things that I love. And I ended up going to Valencia and then UCF and I finished Mm -hmm. my, my um, degree and studied music and creative writing and organizational communication, all things that I think are helpful to me now and the things that I'm doing. But, you know, I applied to Belmont Nashville and it was just to do music there. And it wasn't like, yeah, we believe in your ability to do this. We're going to support you and hope that it works. It was like, Mm. you could just go to a less expensive, less complicated school closer to here and study something else. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's always been kind of this wrestling to figure out how to feel supported and pursuing the things that I love. Mm-hmm. So who was Cole in high school? Uh, student government president, uh, oh, wow. president of uh, a few other organizations within the school, um, had lots of friends uh, that I cared a lot about. Over the course of like ninth to 12th grade, my friend group shifted from friends at school, which I still had, but my free time outside of school was spent mostly with, like, church friends, and... And you went to Boone High School. Yeah. And I didn't go to my senior prom, even though I was voted, like, king of the prom. <laughs> and you were prom king? Uh-huh. And homecoming king my senior year, yeah. Oh, a hop. A yeah, top. high five. High five. Yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I look, I that. look at, look back on decisions like that, and it's just kind of like. And you were just like, I have better things to do, so like. Exactly. Forget this. Exactly, which is so dumb, so so dumb. Um, were people like, are you too cool? Like. No. I mean, if you like, you are the homecoming king, right? I went to homecoming. Yeah. Or or so for prom, is yeah. there like a a prom queen? King. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then prom king uh-huh. is you. Yeah. And so she's just gonna I, be. I, yeah. Like. Alone? I don't know. I don't even know. I wasn't there. Right. Cool. <laughs> and it's dumb. I'm saying now right. in this moment, it's dumb. I know. But yes, that I happened. Just, I had good good to know. These were stories that I need to have in my life. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and I don't even know what I did that night. I mean, probably went and hung out with some of my other friends and I yeah it was a weird thing it was a weird thing to do were you glad to be done with high school I loved high school I had such a great experience okay yeah like I loved middle school I loved high school I loved all of my school was middle school around the same personality as high school Cole yeah I don't know if I knew who I was or what I was like I never did arts stuff in school um how did that come across your radar like when did you think like wow, I'm really engaged by this. Well, I was doing stuff, but it just wasn't in school. So I was... um, But I mean, like, when at a young age were were you thinking, like... Like, some people get really in... Like, they're like, oh my gosh, I love math, or I love these Legos because Mm -hmm. I can can architecturally make something. But you... Like, how did you initially connect with, like, man, I love creating something out of nothing? Yeah, well, that was much later, the answer to that question. Okay. Uh, As a small child, though, I mean, I, I was a singer... And so being a singer is pretty easy because you carry it with you. Like, your voice is always there. Yeah, that's And it was saw. just something that I was good at doing. Right. Um, and then, you know, from that, as an elementary school kid, like, started taking piano lessons and doing that stuff. And um, But your parents supported you being a singer. Yeah, it was, like, cute to have your kids sing in church kind of stuff. Got it. Yeah. Right. So it was that. It wasn't like, oh, wow, you have this talent. Let's figure out, like how to surround you with an infrastructure that bolsters it as like a pursuit of your life. Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh, that's cute. Like sing in the church choir and sing some solos, which I did all the time. And it was fun. Right. Um, and so most of my like singing stuff as a child was mostly in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, even, you know, it's just another glimpse of all this tension for me of like discovering my own voice and discovering my own confidence and bravery to, actually create stuff so you know the first song I wrote I probably didn't write until I was like 18 or 19 years old and it was just kind of like I don't even know how to do this Mm -hmm. and I I mean everybody starts there for sure but it was like it was I don't know how to do this and I don't know what how to find help to do it Hmm. and um, for a long long time the concept of creating the most difficult part for me was always showing it to other people. That was always the the hang-up for me of, if I do this, I'm fine doing it. I'm fine doing it in my room. I'm fine recording it on my computer. But if I do this and then show it to other people, what does that mean? And what are they going to say? And what are they going to think? And how are they going to respond? Sure. And that's always been kind of, again, this idea going back to trying to find the belief within myself that other people care deeply about me and so mm. they will support me in making things uh, and, and endure the process of making things that are initially not great 
but believing that through time over time like and us being in relationship together like we grow so things will get better yeah yeah So as we grow, like after high school, we get into adult world and then life happens and there's highs and there's lows and there's a lot of things that shape us and happen to us. And um, has there ever been kind of like a a scenario that you kind of like felt most devastated by or that you kind of like physically or emotionally had to like pick yourself up off the floor and keep going? And if so, like how did you do it? This will be one of the parts, I guess, that they edit down. Right. Devastating such a big word. Or, like, a unexpected event that you're like, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Slash. Yeah. Now I, I have to correct course and figure this out. I'm going to answer it differently than like a devastating moment. I'm going to talk about the fact that in a lot of areas of my life, I carry with me a sense of impending potential failure or anxiety. Um, So it's not necessarily attached to an inciting incident, but like I, I remember when we're a couple years into creative city project and we're trying to do this annual event and this was like 2016 or 15 maybe. And it was like, we didn't really have much of an infrastructure organization around what we were doing, but it was kind of like, we got to find $70,000. And I was, we were like five weeks from the event and didn't have it. And uh, I was sitting with a friend in a plaza downtown. And I was like, I think maybe we should just cancel this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I had spent four or five months, like every morning waking up before my alarm full of dread feeling the weight of the world Mm -hmm. and hundreds of artists and you know thousands of attendees like feeling all of this weight of expectation of me being able to perform in order to pay for the thing that it was that we said we were going to do and just having no road map for how to do that and no course of action and and how it was going to be achievable and so kind of living with that sense of like uh this may fall apart and feeling like there's so much of, again, the kind of wrestling with this idea of like, do people support me and care about me? Well, if that's something that I'm already wrestling with, the idea of failure means all that much more uh, in the context of my life. And so it's like, that was, I I said to her, I was like, man, maybe we should just cancel this. And I I think it would have been fine for us to do it, like for us to cancel it, but we didn't. And we pushed forward and we found the $70,000 in the course of whatever, six or seven weeks that we needed to find it. And the event happened. It was, it was great. Um, but I do feel like that is something that I carry with me a lot, but I'll also say this, even though I do experience that sense of heaviness related to some of those objectives Mm -hmm. for me, one of the things that I've recognized about myself, even in 2019 is that I tend to get what I want because I give myself permission to want things that I can work to achieve. And oftentimes I do that to the extent that it causes me to ignore other things that I need in my life 
hmm. that are totally and utterly out of my control. And so I just fill all of my time and life and energy with things that I can do and make and achieve and work for. So just in the context of like relational life of like, I need relationships in my life. Like that's important, but it's so uncontrollable. And it's like yeah. the, the idea of giving your heart to someone or someone's yeah. um, is so risky because you're opening yourself up to ask for something. I'm opening myself up to ask for something that I in no way can control the, like getting it. And so, you know, I think I get awards in Orlando for doing good things and big things and awesome things or whatever. And it's like, I'm so grateful for that. And not for a second would I discount that or say that I don't appreciate those things. But at the same time, I know that all of that work is built around things that are safe for me. Sure. So even if it's a big vision and even if it, you know, this year we got to find a million and a half dollars to do the thing that we want to do. Um, for me, that feels controllable. That's your, that's your wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. So versus like you stepping into another area of your life or another theme of your life that you're like, these are things that are important and necessary to me, but my strengths don't lie in them. Hmm. So so walking towards that could be failure, like you said, mm-hmm. or impending doom. Yeah. But like you're like, over here, I, I know what I can do. Like I can throw a dinner party. Amazing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But like I'm not going to. Like, if I were to walk towards being, like, a hip-hop dance instructor, that would be probably <laughs> Not immediate failure. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But, it, like, it's interesting to see sometimes, like, there's a lot of undiscovered... Sometimes when you're in these positions where you're, like, so much of your life is public and you're doing something that's very visible and there's a lot mm-hmm. of people where, like, their strengths lie inward mm-hmm. and so their strengths are not on display, but yeah. they're equally, like, insanely amazing. Yes. Um, but it is always challenging to be pushing yourselves into the things to, to have a balanced lifestyle and yeah. pushing your things in, into different things that we need to, to keep us healthy Yeah, and open ears to people that tell us <laughs> what we need sometimes. Yeah. So on the other flip side of that, like, has there been a seminal moment or I'm sure there's lots in like what you've created is, is a, is a beautiful uh, montage of all things Orlando, but has there been a moment where you're like, you sat back and that you were just like filled with pride with hmm. like what you have worked for and towards? I'm working on that. You're working on that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And that's not about me not valuing the things that I've gotten to make and participate in making. That's a statement about my, my ability to be present in the beauty of the things. Uh, so like even this past year after Immerse, our biggest event ever, like 45 or 50,000 people, a thousand artists, two days, like in so many ways grew and grew Yeah. and it was so wonderful and beautiful and artists and people and attendees had a wonderful time and we achieved the objectives we set out to achieve. And I got, you know, a month later and even in the midst of it, as people, as it was coming up, people be like, are you excited? And I'm like, I'm not excited at all. I know. I ask you that sometimes. Yeah. And, and what I, what I realized is like, I was just an, I, I am, was at an emotional place where I think I had just shut off all of it. So because, because of that anxiety, because of the expectations that I and others had placed on myself, Mm -hmm. it was easier for me to just turn off everything 
than it was for me to deal with all of that stuff. Um, so like the answer a lot of times was like, no, I'm not all that excited because I think if I was allowed to feel anything, I'd be like in the fetal position in a corner <laughs> right now. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things I talked to Chris, our COO about after this year's event was like, we got to figure out like how we can be present in the work that we're doing and not set ourselves up to have to shut down because if we really took a glimpse at what we were doing, it would like cause us to crumble. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm trying to move into a spot and again, I'm so grateful. Like I try to practice that intentionally. I try to be aware of like the beautiful things that I get to experience every day and these big moments of winning awards or partnering with people or getting a, you know, a new corporate partner or like whatever, or seeing an artist, like standing up on stage and doing what it is they love. Like I want to be able to love those moments. And, you know, even looking back, we've worked for the last several years with the Lake Mary step team, Lake Mary high school step team. And I talked to their, um, their advisor, um, sponsor teacher, uh, in the middle of the street in Orange Avenue during our event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's this group of probably 25 high school students who are about to walk on one of our main stages and there's lasers going overhead and there's smoke everywhere and there's lights and there's thousands of people. And she said to me, like, a lot of these kids have never left Sanford and Mm. here they are like so awestruck by this moment. Yeah. And so not for a second do I not understand the deep value and meaning that what we're doing has for people. Right. Um, I just want to fill you with pride. Yeah. 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 I I want to be in a place where I can experience that fully, where I can experience the beauty of that fully. Hmm. Um, I think I can look back on it. I can, I can think about the story. I can think about the moment in that moment. You're filled with anxiety. Well, by the time the event starts, no, (laughs) Because it's already in place. Right. It's gonna, yeah, what's exactly. going to happen? Well, yeah, of course. But then there's like, yeah, a million things that are happening that need my attention. Right. So, yes. Okay. So this uh, next part is one of my all-time favorite topics, which is the Enneagram. Okay. So if you aren't familiar with the Enneagram, the Enneagram is a kind of like a roadmap or tools to kind of like... For me, it's kind of been like the full scope of how we're created and the personality that we have. And um, as humans, I we're just created so differently. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Which I am ever learning, continue to uh-huh, learn. Yeah. Um, there's nine different types of personalities within the Enneagram, and they kind of help to show our strengths and our weaknesses and um, what it looks like to be healthy, what it mm. looks like to be unhealthy. Um, so for me... I just have gotten a lot of healing from it and a lot of like answers, I think, yeah. for some of the reasons that I feel the things yeah. and I act and, and mm-hmm. the ways that other people, I'm like, I sometimes don't understand where you're coming from. I like, I, I operate this way and just people sometimes are not on, on my radar or on my level. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's just been a really powerful tool. In that regard. So, um, I've been looking forward to chatting with you because you and I are the same yes. on the Enneagram. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we are both eights. And so, um, I'll, I'll read this description here in a second. So, I think that you are 
an eight with a seven wing, mm -hmm. and then I'm an eight with a nine wing, okay. which is the peacemaker. Yes, I know. So well aware. Well aware. <laughs> I'm just saying. Somebody might not no, know. No, I understand why we're having this conversation right. for so, the sake of the listener. The the challenger um, is the powerful, dominating dominating type, self confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. So as an eight yeah. and a female. For me, it's real fun. Mm -hmm. um, the seven is the enthusiast, which is the busy, fun-loving type, spon spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered, and which I see like every single one of those things in you. Mm. And when I think of an eight, I like you are a classic eight to me um, in so many ways. And discovering this, it definitely has helped me mm -hmm. like understand you better understand obviously myself better yeah. um so in health we are a two right so like what you do is you're like i want to help people get this broader stage in orlando to say like you have incredible talent you're on the step team you are a, are a ballet dancer and the ultimate goal is to, the two being the helper the two being the helper yes. right yeah the ultimate goal is to help people yeah. get to where mm -hmm. their fullest potential is yep and I feel the same way on my end of things of what I do. And in stress, we are at five, which is the individualist, and retreat into the isolation and not wanting to be seen or known or just like, like you were saying, just kind of like, <laughs> I want to be in a fetal position somewhere where people are not around me. So as you may know, or may not know at all, cocktails are kind of my thing. At the end of a long day, or any day really, crafting a drink, whether it's simple or more complex, I really look forward to a delicious cocktail. Plus it makes all conversations better. Tito's Handmade Vodka is always a go-to for me. It's the perfect thing to have on hand to make just about any cocktail. That is what I love about Tito's. It's so versatile. Anything from a Moscow Mule to an Elderflower Martini to a White Russian. Plus, Tito's Handmade Vodka has won a million awards, but for real. It's been distilled six times and won the SF World Spirit Championship. So the next time you are looking for an incredibly drinkable cocktail, pick up some Tito's Handmade Vodka. Plus, you should head over to titosvodka.com to read up more about their story and pick up some delightful recipes. So, yeah, I think that, like, you definitely, as an eight, you kind of, like, charge ahead mm -hmm. with vision, mm -hmm. and you won't let anything or anyone get in your way, yeah. for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, how has kind of understanding and learning about the Enneagram helped you to understand more about yourself? Oh, it's shown me how much of a mess my life is. <laughs> Uh, and it's definitely given me a vocabulary to understand myself. Yeah. And like you've said, it has definitely given me an understand, a, a framework to understand other people. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest lessons for me as an eight, the challenger, is that I actually find intimacy and in conflict. Mm-hmm. And so I can... Which took me a, a, such a long time. Well, one, I didn't even know that, but yeah. like... Like, obviously knowing you for all these years and just knowing that that wasn't... Like, it, it was a hard thing to understand that that was a thing that wasn't bad. Yeah. Or that it can't be... Like, it's... um, I'm mean, not that it can't be bad, but 
that you're not doing it out of a place of like an argumentative, like mm-hmm. I just want to like pick a fight. You're like, right. I want to know, and I'm going to yeah. challenge you and push yeah. you until mm-hmm. you yep. push me back. Yep. And that is like the form of romance that you offer, but without context, a lot of people, and yeah. even myself for, you know, all my years, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to like see somebody who just like, why do you have to be so difficult all the time? But a lot of times it's not coming from a place of like, meanness it's coming from a place of like understanding or like wanting further understanding yeah for me the process of like working something out in conversation or conflict or debate or whatever it is like for me those are experiences that draw me closer to other people um for me any like third party idea or concept or objective or task Um, is something that I get to work toward with other people. And for me, that's an intimate experience. But we might have different ideas about what that thing is or should be. Um, And so for me, it's like if we're building a fence and you think the fence should be built out of wood and I think the fence should be built out of steel and we have an argument about the what we think, and not even an argument, but just like, here are the merits of wood and here are the merits of steel Mm -hmm. and we might yell at each other about it. But for me, that's not a scary thing. It's actually like the visceral nature of that moment is in, is, is thrilling to me. And so it draws me, it draws me into the moment because here we are committed to this thing together and, and that's what it means for me. And then recognizing, like, I think one of the values of the Enneagram has helped me realize that about myself, but then also mm. realize that that's not true for everyone. Yeah. And so being able to manage that in a more <clears throat> healthy way of knowing that I have the ability to um, see things in a particular way. I have the, I'd make a great editor. Actually, I thought about this the other day. If I was in the publishing industry and make a great editor because I could read a manuscript and find all of the things that could make it better. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, like I believe that it's not just subjective opinion. Like I could go through that thing and figure out here's how this could be more effective in reaching people and communicating your message and how you could rephrase this for greater clarity. Mm -hmm. Like I'm good at doing that stuff. The thing that I'm not good at because I don't even think about it is to start with here are the 18 things I love about this and here are the seven things we should change. And again, here are the 18 things that I love about this. So for me, the nature of us being in relationship with one another is a commitment and I take that commitment for granted. And it prevents me from saying the things that I need to say because those things are things that I feel and believe. So I don't need to say them, but voicing them out loud is helpful to reestablish mm-hmm. caring relationship that becomes the context for the sharpening of one another in relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely been an eye-opener in the fact of, like, everyone doesn't operate this way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I'm coming at it from this angle, and this is how I think. And so in a loving response to people, or if I want to love people well, I have to know that, like, one, I'm not the center of the world. I'm not the center of everyone's world. Um, How can I communicate in a way that is kind to, to them? And like you said, like, you have all these things in your head that you already know, but they haven't heard these things, right? Yeah, they, right. Haven't, they haven't yeah. been communicated yeah. to. And also, like, I think the ways that we 
the tone we use, how mm -hmm. we speak to one another. Um, so I am on the other side as far as being a peacemaker. So I kind of I'm always filtering like how how can I make everybody still feel good about themselves mm -hmm. and um and so with the aid it's like without aids like nothing gets done right yeah. I'm well, not nothing gets done but they have a sense of like I'm okay to take a risk and to put myself out there and I if I'm going to change something like I'm not really going to care I mean there is this this deep hidden like Nobody wants to fail, mm -hmm. but it's also, like, not so debilitating that you don't take that first step. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, maybe this, this first 10 steps are going to be garbage, but then 11 through 17 are going to get better. Yeah. And then by the time we re reach 35, it's going to be this this amazing thing. But as as communicators, I think eights can have a hard time communicating well or not knowing graciously um, cause, because sometimes our gut response is anger Yeah. for me, it can be, and wanting to keep the peace. I usually like keep it here, mm. keep it like inside me and, um, sometimes don't know how to vocalize that well. And sometimes I think maybe some of that comes through when you talk with people and it's, it's not like I'm angry at you. It's more of like, I'm angry that we can't figure out how to address this in a way that's getting results yeah things yeah as a seven wing with the enthusiast somebody will send me something or talking about talk about an idea to me and i'm like yes let's do it i love it great but then my go-to is and here's the here are the eight things that we need to do to make this idea better or here's how you can or change happen. your plan or or happen right. in general yeah so we our mutual friend Jamie Torkowski runs an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms, and I haven't asked him if I could tell the story, but <laughs> love you, Jamie. Um, I was one of the first. He wrote this story about a friend of ours named Renee. It was about the journey that they had taken together, and she was going through recovery, and the whole the whole organization is built around helping people fight depression and overcome um, feelings of. Um, of suicide and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And so he had written this very heartfelt story. And I'm a, I don't know this, but I'm assuming Jamie is a four, which is somebody who's like super sensitive and very, yeah. For sure a four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he e emails me this story that he's written. And I, literally when he did that, I was in the middle of a creative writing class at UCF. Wow. and uh, this was so long yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And so he, so I, I was approaching it like I was approaching every single other piece of creative writing that I had been getting that semester, which was, okay, I get the story and my assignment is to edit it. Uh-huh. And he, his but email... Is, is, is he asking? Well, his email is, here's the story, let me know what you think. But really what he was saying is, here's the story, it's my soul and my heart. Right. I would love for you to, like, be with me in Read the process. Read it and embrace it. Yes. Not yes. give me your, like... Well, that's exactly what I did, is I opened it up in a <laughs> Word document and, like, edited it. Right. And sent it back to him. And, because for me it was like, yeah, let's do it. Love it. Here's how I can help you make this thing better, and let's go for it. Right. right? But for him it was like... Oh my! This really hurts me because that's not what I was the asking objective. you to do, no. right? Yeah. Oh my god. Um, and so, I mean, that was something we had to like. Neither of us. Well, I'll just say I don't know if I was emotionally mature to even navigate that conversation subsequent to it. So it just kind of like hurt our friendship 
right. for a while. And I think, you know, decreased trust and those kinds of things. And, um, I think it's just incredible how like DNA wise, we're just wired so differently because mm-hmm. obviously neither of you had the intention of being hurtful or whatever, yeah. but like in the same ways, it's like, sometimes it's like that didn't even like cross your wavelength. No. It wasn't a decision that you made no. intentionally to mm-hmm. be like, well, yeah, the story is half crap, but like, I'm going to like come in and be the savior and make this thing uh-huh. better. Yeah. And he was just like, I need a friend uh-huh. to sit with me in this. Uh-huh. Um, but those, just the ways that were created and the natural responses and we get to like learn and grow and be better at those things. But it's just so interesting that we don't sometimes have the full capacity of knowing all the things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like the, like knowing the Enneagram has helped you like professionally? Um, it's helped me by, uh, accepting the way other people are. Um, it's helped me by being aware of how other people operate and what they're looking for and the things they need. Um, it's helped me in sitting in meetings and having, uh, an opinion about how a lot of things could be better and knowing how to temper that opinion or how to phrase it in a better way that's more helpful or to not say anything at all at the Mm. right time. Um, so yeah, I think there's a ton of ways it's helped me transform my life that has nothing to do with professional. It has to do with just like human. So that affects, yeah, that affects professional, but it's about, it's about like me being a different person or knowing myself better so that I can operate well. True story. True, true, true. Yeah. That's so good. I I feel like being an eight is really challenging. I've, (laughs) I have, I mean, it's a challenger, but in a sense of just like, um, yeah, there's a lot of, like, strong, for me, like, things that I feel and yeah. um, ways of, of interacting with people and sometimes choosing well into those things and then sometimes, like, willingly not choosing well yeah. into those things. Yeah. And un- unwillingly choosing not well into those things. Right. Yep. It is It is difficult. So. And the, the eights and the fours, and you know, my friend Jamie being a four, it's like we were drawn to each other because both eights and fours. Yeah. And the four is like the art, artist type who's a high feeler and um, kind of navigates life just being sensitive to everything. And again, that can be wonderful, that can be difficult, but the eights and, eights and fours are often drawn to each other because they're the most understood type, misunderstood, misunderstood types. types. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, people think I hate them, but I don't. Mm -hmm. And then fours are like, people think I'm crazy, but I'm not. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we both have a hard time being understood in the world around us. And so often eights and fours are, are drawn to one another. And I'll say this too, like about being an eight, it's like the, the times I feel most loved is when somebody is willing to be honest with me and say the hard thing. To your face. To my face. Yeah. Because it's like, tell me how I can change. Tell me how (laughs) I can do this better. Tell me what you need from me. You need to put it in explicit language so that I can like internalize that and like I can't read everyone's mind all the time. Yeah. And and for most people, that's the most difficult thing in the world to do. 
So it leaves me feeling unloved most of the time because I feel like I feel like I can trust so much someone who is willing to say our relationship is so secure that I'm willing to do the thing that's most most difficult for mm-hmm. me, which is to tell you the truth. Yes. And I also care about you enough to be aware of who you are and how you operate. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm here in the midst of all the difficulty and I'm committed to helping you grow. Right. Yeah, I think it definitely takes true friends to, I think, get past... I mean, because the eights can be seen as unapproachable mm-hmm. and um, so domineering that you somehow, like, can't um, have a conversation with them or just, or it's too scary to, like, have this confrontation. So eights are, are confrontational, not that I relish confrontation, but I know that it has to happen because I want this better outcome on this other side. But... It is a hard thing when you feel like, wow, like, yeah, people may, may not be, uh, not brave enough, but they may not, like, want to take the effort to approach somebody that doesn't feel approachable. Mm-hmm. But that's never the intent, for me, it's never the intention of, like, I don't want people to feel like that I am open to hearing how they actually feel. Mm-hmm. But without that communication, it's like you can't make forward movement and progress and... For sure. That that does feel like love and um my one of my, you know, best friends is a four and so having somebody that can speak into my life because he can like see me and he's not afraid to like tell me the the truth even though it hurts versus somebody that's just gonna be like nice to your face. Like I don't have time for you in my book sometimes I'm just like yeah don't waste my time like tell me what you want to tell me even if it's not what I want to hear we can talk about it and then we can move on and like the world's not going to fall apart and so I have to like understand that like most people don't operate that way and how can I be aware of that and also move towards these people to say okay I want to invite you in to this safe place because I want deeper relationship with you it's so fascinating I mean I could just talk about it all day (laughs) um so, you know, Cole, I've just, I've known you for so long and I have really seen you transform so much in 15 mm. years and you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Um, but I have just really seen you grow into a much healthier version of yourself, like in over these years. And I'm just amazed at what you have created with the Creative City Project, um, and just, I always love when I see somebody that has put themselves out there and has fought, like mm. you've really created something from nothing, which I can concur, I concur and understand that. But it's really impressive, like what you have grown over the years. And Thank I just you. like really value you and um, your vision in the city and what you're doing. And it's not mm. every day I think that, that someone has enough fight in them because mm. like you get you get no a lot mm. I'm sure and yeah. I, like over the years that you've probably been like you're doing you know you're starting what like yeah. you need to raise how much money but I love that someone who like gets you know like I, I kind of felt like my dad was this way like if you mm. got knocked down you just get back up again and you're mm. an optimist in that way and that you yeah. fight for this city in beautiful ways so oh, I just thank you 
appreciate you. Thank um, you. And I think what you do is meaningful and important. Thank you. Um, so I would love for you to be able to share with us, I guess, what your role is and um, what the business is that you've created. Or Sure. It's a uh, business, right? It's a, it, what is it? It's, it's yeah, a it's a business. Great. I mean, what? <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a like it a is a nonprofit, but it's a business. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I I am the founder and CEO of the Creative City Project. Uh, we started in 2012 with me just calling a bunch of friends and saying, "Hey, come out into the public spaces of the city and do something interesting." Musicians, dancers, visual artists. We didn't have any sound or lights or permits or permission we just started doing stuff Mm -hmm. um and I didn't know if it'd be a one-off thing or it'd be something that like continued but for me it was I believe that all of these creative people I know have something meaningful to contribute to the city and that their lives would be better and our city would be better if people knew what they were making and I thought the best way to do that is to take these artists out of their bubble and put them out in the public spaces of the city and the first year was great. Um, we didn't have an organization. It wasn't about like this long-term vision or mission. It was just doing stuff around this idea of, I want to help create an infrastructure that makes it possible for my creative friends to call Orlando home. Um, I was tired mm-hmm. of seeing them... People leave. Yeah, have to move to New York to take a design job or LA to try to get into film or whatever it was that people were doing. I just wanted to help create a better ecosystem and so did that in 2012 decided kind of one July night in 2013 to try to do it again and we did it again and um 24 you started the next year in July we started the first year in like September and then did something in October and then the next right. year we started something in July and did something in October right now we're on like an 18 month cycle right so we're thinking about That's 2020 right. and yeah <laughs> Right. Right, 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 right. Um, what was the first year like? Yeah, we did something, I mean, just like a little thing every day during the month of October, which was a uh, nightmare. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was just a little pop-up, and we we just did stuff. Um, on a whim, I called the Orlando Ballet. I didn't have any relationships there. I just said, hey, we're trying to do an interesting, creative thing in public space, like every day during the month of October. And they're like, cool. And they... Um, did a, like choreographed a dance to Thriller and they came down at Chase Plaza during a lunch hour on a Friday or something mm-hmm. and just did it for seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's hundreds of business people walking to lunch yeah. and they stopped and watched it and that was it. And um, did the same thing with Cirque du Soleil that first year, just like called their office. City Hall? That, yeah. Called, called the people at Cirque du Soleil and I, I was like, hey, I know you guys like started your whole company by still walking across Canada. Maybe this is like fits the ethos of who you are. And she was like, yeah, absolutely does. So they like got a bus and put 24 of their performers on it and mm-hmm. bust them down downtown during a lunch hour again. And a couple thousand people came out in front of City Hall and it was just like totally a cold call, like just went for it and it, it worked. And so... 2013 uh, condensed all that down to one day because we were like, okay, the ballet is cool, but it's a big deal for people to get downtown. Yeah. And so how can we make it compelling for them to do so? And so by putting all of this performance and activity on one day, it was more kind of compelling to get people down for an event. And then have um, continued to do that 2014 through 2018. Last year we had a two-day event Mm -hmm. that... Like I said at the beginning, like 1,000 artists, about 50,000 people. 
Um, and our big vision is a multi-day event that platforms national and international artists for an audience of 100,000 people by 2020. So that's next year. So we're two events away from that objective, 100,000 attendees. Um, and have had to figure out what it's like to build all kinds of partnerships with all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly what I spend my time doing is like casting the vision and asking people to join us to make it happen Mm -hmm. with this big idea of helping shape the global perception of central Florida as a hub for creativity and innovation. So really, you know, we're doing these, this arts programming, but really the big kind of impact is cultural transformation and helping transform the identity of our city and not necessarily even transform it but to actually help develop it Um, because in a lot of ways like we don't have an identity and Mm -hmm. you know we're just now in a lot of ways so adolescent in the process of developing the identity of what Orlando is known for and is and so just you know helping helping transform that and shape it. So you really work, obviously, year-round doing this, and you have a lot going on, a lot on your plate. There's other things that you do outside of this, even. Um, And I am heading into our final topic, which is my favorite one, which is rest, Mm -hmm. which I think that people don't talk about enough, and they don't do enough. And the implications of rest or lack of rest have such a huge Mm. role in how we can operate well in our jobs in our relationships in our family in world and all this kind of um stuff so for you like um what like what does rest look like how do you how do you retreat renew restore um step back so that you can breathe and offer your best self to the world Yeah, I think this has to go, this goes back to kind of the idea of like discovering our identity and and who we are as people. And, um, you know, even in the midst of all of these anxious moments and feeling like there's a lot on my plate and dealing with issues every day that can feel overwhelming, for me, the thing that brings me back to a place of rest and centeredness is spending time with people that mean a lot to me. And literally like in some ways it's compartment it compartmentalizes me like i can have all of these things that i have to deal with Mm -hmm. and then i can go spend time with people i love and totally forget about all that stuff Hmm. i can go and just flip a switch yeah just totally yeah when i'm in the presence of people that mean a lot to me i don't think about anything else other than who we are together and that's um something that i've learned over time of like uh, I could have the worst day, but the promise of connection mm-hmm. at the end of it uh, allows me to endure the day. And yeah. when I get into that moment, it radically calms me. It brings me to a place of rest. And so people are a huge part of the idea of rest for me. And that happens just in the hanging out with a friend at the end of the day. And it also happens, you know, by taking trips around the world with people that I care about and um, which I do a lot of and I'm really grateful for so most recently went to Argentina with two friends that I love a lot right and there's nothing like the rest that comes for me and knowing that it's the three of us having this experience and we don't have to do anything else we can just be here 
together. You don't have to fight for your time. I don't have to fight for your attention. Yeah. You don't have to fight for your affection. We are here doing this thing together, and there's there's rest in that reality for me. That's beautiful. Um, I mean, it kind of maybe circles back to that, but do you have, like, if you could have, like, what is your ideal day of rest? Like, like money is not an issue. Like, if you could just have, like, one dream day of total rest for you, what it, what would it be? Yeah, the, the, the to-do on that, like, doesn't matter a whole lot to me. Like, I find just as much... Just, restful satisfaction it's the who yeah i find it's just as much restful satisfaction in having brunch on my porch with three or four friends as i do going canoeing at wakaiva or flying to another city mm-hmm. like it's it's about the the who and the safety of togetherness sure yeah i think that even as an eight for myself it's like you have to find your tribe and find the safe people. And so it's like you, when you're in the presence of those people where you can feel fully, fully safe with them, um, it's so valuable. And so Mm -hmm. it's like pouring into those relationships, knowing that you get the return from that and say like, this is so valuable to me. Like I have to like guard it so carefully and keep it as gold because it's, I think as an eight being misunderstood a lot or sometimes not feeling always that, always understood by everybody knowing that you have people that have your back through thick and thin through Mm -hmm. the ups and downs of of life is priceless for sure do you have any final thoughts of wisdom that you would share with us give me a topic um (laughs) happily i'll happily share my thoughts on anything uh a topic of um Oh, that's a good one. Uh, leadership. <clears throat> leadership. Um, people think they're leaders because they have a title or a role, but the truth is we're not leaders until we have followers, which is why I think a lot of this personality conversation matters so much. Hmm. Because if we have a position and don't know how to deal with not even deal with, not, don't know how to care for people well, doesn't matter if we have position. It, in fact, it's probably negative that we have position because it will leave us frustrated and alone because we are have the position of leader, but we don't have the trust of people. And so it will make us feel eternally and consistently deficient mm-hmm. because we're not doing our job of being a leader. And so I think for me, one of the most important leadership lessons that I've come to learn is I can tell that I'm a leader when people are following and when I am authentically connecting with people in the midst of those objectives or initiatives or company or whatever. And even more recently, like I've, I've been kind of like navigating my word for 2019 is tenderness, which has made my life a mess already in the first two months of the year. Like literally, literally I'm a mess. I feel like most days that really? I'm like, yeah, I feel most days. How does that, that manifest in your day? Sorry. Uh, let me finish this and we can come okay. back to that. My, my word for the year is tenderness. And I um, have, I think, opened myself up to a wider breadth of experience and emotion. And for a long time, even related to some of this idea of like trying to find people who believe in me and 
trust will trust me and will champion me I think that I've done that by trying to put on a mask that I think will lead people to the point of thinking that I'm an expert enough so that they can trust me. Hmm. And what I've found even in the last three or four weeks is I feel like I've kind of opened up a little bit and been a bit more tender is I go to meetings with these people that I'm asking for hundreds of thousands of dollars from and we spend an hour talking about what it means to like wear masks as a business person all day long and not ever feel like we're actually authentically who it is that we are Mm -hmm. and and like that's never a conversation I would have had before but it um it connects in a way that like is way deeper than this idea of putting on a facade that makes that is an attempt to convince people that we're trustworthy. So I would say like another leadership thing that I've been kind of walking through is like what does it mean to bring my whole self at the right time to the conversation or the meeting or the presentation or whatever it is mm-hmm. and it's just like all of that has had me on just this swing of emotion and this precipice of like tears half of the time and like it's interesting yeah it's been weird honestly but um yeah what was the question you asked about tenderness i was saying just how does it manifest in your day over the last week one of the things that i think that i've i've come to describe it as is i have friends who have gone to see counselors and have been prescribed medication for anxiety or depression and and they talk about how in taking the medication they don't feel the low lows anymore but they also don't feel the high highs and they live in kind of this emotional middle ground Mm -hmm. and I think I have the talent curse ability to live in a self-induced emotional middle ground Um, and in embracing the idea of tenderness for this year and trying to grow in that I've allowed myself permission to expand my emotional range of experience in lots of different environments. Uh And so that leads to a place where I feel higher highs, but also leads to a place where I feel lower lows. And I can carry that stuff with me in ways that don't always necessarily serve me. Um, So that's hard. It's learning to, to... to manage emotion in a new way where I allow myself to feel it. And sometimes I allow myself to feel it in a way that's uncontrollable because I Mm -hmm. think we need that. Um, Other times it's allowing myself to feel in a way that is manageable given the circumstance. And then in other ways, it's like, we'll come back to that later because I have stuff I need to do. Sure. And before I think it was more of just like, the, fir- the, the second two where I'll let myself feel a little bit in a way that's manageable and appropriate for this situation and or I won't feel at all and maybe I'll come back to it but don't really right um, but that first one this idea of just allowing myself to feel in ways that are demonstrably irresponsible mm-hmm. um, is is not something I'm used to right but you're stepping out of your wheelhouse into the unknown for growth yeah yeah that's uh, amazing to hear 
Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to do some day drinking with me mm -hmm. in my home. I appreciate and the invitation. Yeah, always. Um, so if people wanted to find more about Immerse yep. or the Creative City Project, yep. how would they find how would they find you guys? So just clar clarification on that. Creative City Project is our organization. Yep. Immerse is the annual event that we produce every October. October 18th and 19th, 2019. It's the third weekend of October every year. You can find us on all the social media at Creative City Project. And I am at Cole Neesmith. C-O-L-E-N-E-S-M-I-T-H. Sweet. Yeah. I have to put those dates on my calendar myself as well right now. So I'm going to do that. Um, but man, I have loved chatting with you. So Likewise. Yeah. See likewise. you soon. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 